Well, good morning. Welcome to you all. Thank you for joining us here at Livestream this morning. My name is John. I'm the discipleship pastor here on staff and glad to be here with you. I get to share the word. Uh, just want to welcome everybody online watching as well. So glad that you could join us uh, this morning. A lot of our pastors are away this morning. They're, they're traveling, either visiting family or they're away at conference. And so I would just ask or remind you to keep them in your prayers uh, the next couple of days as they continue moving about the country. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for the opportunity to be here. Uh, do you all have a good Christmas? Everyone kind of get through? Whew. Yeah, I did too. I still have one more uh, Christmas party this afternoon and uh, super excited because food, right? So uh, looking forward to that. And, uh, and then uh, it should be a quieter week next week, I, I hope. But uh, I am excited because I get to kick off a two-week series uh, today. We're going to be looking at a book actually called Living Life Backwards. This is by an author named David Gibson. And it's kind of a, a meditation or, or an overview of, of Ecclesiastes. And if, if you're familiar with the Bible at all in Ecclesiastes, you might be thinking, ugh, why in the world are we talking about Ecclesiastes right after Christmas? Because Ecclesiastes is kind of this book that's got a reputation for being kind of, kind of glum and ho-hum and depressing a bit. Um, but actually, there's really great insights. And so I'm excited to, to share those and, and bring those uh, to you today. So we'll take a look at the first couple of chapters in Ecclesiastes. The next week, Pastor Chris is going to wrap it up for us and bring it home. Uh, but also just want to mention the book is available if you'd like to, to purchase a copy. We have a whole bunch of them over by the Welcome Center. Um, there's a suggested donation of $10 uh, if you want to, to pick up a copy. If you don't have 10 bucks but you really want the book, we want you to have one. So, so feel free, make a donation as you're able. Uh, but we want everyone to have a copy who wants one. It's a great book. It's a, it's a good read. It's an easy read. And I uh, encourage you to do that. So as we dive in, I want to give you a quick little uh, intro to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a book in the Old Testament. Um, it comes uh, right after Proverbs, and uh, it's believed to be written by Solomon, who also wrote Proverbs. And uh, if, if, that, if he is the author, it's, it's likely that it was written in the early 900s BC, which was a couple of minutes ago, from what I hear. And uh, it's, it's really a quick, easy read. It, you could read the whole thing in about 15 minutes. Relatively speaking to other books in the Old Testament, it's a pretty short book. So if, if you want to really wrap your head around the things that, that we're talking about this week and next and, and kind of prepare yourself, I encourage you to take, take 15 minutes. What's, you know, that costs you almost nothing to, to read through it and become familiar with it. So I just want to encourage you to do that. And uh, as we open here, I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and I'm going to read the first 11 verses. So this will be up on the screen, so you can follow along if you'd like. Uh, but it says this, these are the words of the teacher. And you're going to hear the word teacher come up a few other times. It's just in reference to the, the person or the subject of this, this story or the subject of the content that we're going through today. So these are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless. This feels good, doesn't it? We're off to a real good start. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. What do we get for all the, their hard work? Generations come and go, but nothing really changes. The sun rises and sets and hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and north, here and there, twisting back and forth, getting nowhere. The rivers, they run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows again to the sea. 
Everything is so wearisome and, and tiresome. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. What can you point to that is new? How do you know it didn't already exist long ago? We don't remember what happened in those former times, and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. So, all right, Merry Christmas. Let's dive right in, right? Um, it's, I, I actually, there's some really good insights that we're gonna draw from this, but uh, before we really dive in, I wanna show you this. This is a, this is a puzzle. Uh, now, perhaps over Christmas time, some of you had some downtime. Uh, maybe you got to sit around a table and, and just kind of gather the family and throw the, the pieces out and, and just kind of spend some time working on a puzzle. Do we have any puzzlers in here? Any, any puzzle lovers? A couple of us? Yeah. yeah. I don't like puzzles myself. I'm not a puzzle guy. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I, it's just very tedious, and, and I don't really like that about it. But I also, I already know what it's going to look like in the end. Why am I going to take the seven hours, that's how long it takes me, to make a puzzle when I already know what it's going to look like in the end? So if, I'll tell you what, though. If you need a corners and edges guy, I'm your man. The rest of it, I'm out. Forget it. You can find someone else. But this is, this is a nice little puzzle. Um, I'll tell you something, though, that I do know about puzzles. So this puzzle is complete. It's got this lovely picture for reference. It helps us know what it's supposed to look like in the end, right? So that helps us work towards an end. I have another puzzle here. This one's just in a clear bag. No picture at all. Who knows what it's supposed to look like? I'll tell you what, if I have a finite amount of time to build a puzzle, and I have to choose between this one and this one, which one do you think I'm gonna pick? The one with the picture, of course. Because it, it, it helps me know what to work towards. It helps me know what the end result is gonna be. And so really, that's what we're going to take a look at today in Ecclesiastes. We're going to start with the end. Take a look at uh, the, with, with uh, the end in perspective. And so, funny story, though, about puzzles. Uh, my sister, Kate, who's actually here today, this will be funny, um, she, uh, she loves puzzles, or at least she used to. And so my grandma one year, she gifted her a puzzle. I don't remember if it was Christmas or her birthday. It wasn't this one, uh, but it was one like it, just a really nice puzzle. And uh, Kate worked the puzzle. And like most other puzzles, when you work it once, it kind of just, it's like, oh, cool, that was fun. And then you put it on the bookshelf, right? So it sat there for some time. And then uh, our church used to do a missions auction. And Kate thought, you know what? That's a nice puzzle. I think I'll donate it to the missions auction. Maybe it'll make a couple of bucks from the puzzle. Well, guess who attended the missions auction? Grandma. Grandma comes to the missions auction and she sees this puzzle. And I know what you're thinking. She sees this puzzle and is disappointed. Oh, Kate gave away that puzzle that I got her. How disappointing. That is not what grandma thought. You know what grandma thought? <gasps> what a beautiful puzzle. Kate would love that puzzle. So she pulls out her paddle and she starts bidding. Three bucks, five bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. I don't know how much, if it was that much, probably not. But she bid and won on this, you know, she, she won the puzzle and then had to, you know, gifted it back to Kate, who then had to pretend to be really excited about receiving the same puzzle again, so... Just funny how life works sometimes, isn't it? We get to talk more about things like that in Ecclesiastes. I just want, I want to let you know, when we read through some of this content, it's going to feel kind of dreary, kind of gross, kind of unpleasant. But I'm telling you what, life has a way of giving us gifts all along the way. 
And there's a lot of hope along the, the journey of life. And so we're going to get to dive into that a bit and, and talk more about that. So um, as, as we look back in verse 2, though, I, I want to read just for a moment, real qu- just, just a quick sentence. It says, everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Now, if you do a word study of the word meaningless, it's a Hebrew word. Uh, it's called havel, and it appears 62 times in the Old Testament, 30 of which appear in the book of Ecclesiastes. It comes up a lot in Ecclesiastes. And oftentimes, when that word is used, it's used to describe a vapor or a breath. So today, it's not super cold outside, but, but maybe lately you've, you've walked outside and you've seen your breath. You know, you're probably more likely to see your breath on Thanksgiving than Christmas, right? That's Michigan for you. But uh, we go outside and we see our, our breath. My kids call them their ghosts. They're like, Dad, look at my ghost. Look how big my ghost is. <sighs> you know, and then they try to make this huge uh, breath, you know, vapor. Um, but, but everything is not meaningless in life. If we think of it more in, in the, the real context of the way that that word was used a lot in that time, think of it more like this. Life is like a breath. Or life, life is like a vapor. It's here one moment and gone the next. And so I have a couple of quick ways I want you to, to think about this. It'll kind of help, help that all make sense. And so, first of all, I have a candle here. And a uh, funny story about this candle is uh, I meant to bring one from home yesterday. And, uh, you know, a little bit before service, I realized I forgot it. So I kind of went in panic mode and I started searching all the offices. Like, no one had a candle except for Pastor Jim. So this is Pastor Jim's candle. And if you're wondering... Uh, he likes Tranquil Island uh, scent, so whatever that is. Um, but the first point that, that I want to make is life is short. And so I'm, I'm going to blow this candle out, and hopefully you'll be able to, to see the smoke, but it'll help illustrate this. <sighs> How long will this puff of smoke last? Just a few moments. It, it, it's, it's here one moment and gone the next. You can see it. It's real. It's, it's physical, but it's transient. And, and it just doesn't last. And there, just, just like that, it's gone. Our life is like that as well. We're here, we're very real, very physical. But, but in perspective, in, in, in thinking of the grand scheme of things, life is very short for all of us. Some of us, we, we, we live a, a very short amount of time. Others will, will they'll live a very long time, relative speak, you know, relatively speaking. But either way, it's short in, 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 this, in the scope of eternity. Uh, the next point I want to make, and i got to relight this thing, is that life is elusive. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to blow this out again, and, and we'll see the smoke, and I'm going to try to capture it so that I can save it for later. This is going to represent all the things that we try to reach for and grab in life. So let's see how this goes. So, all right, did you see any? Did it, was I able to capture it? I'll try one more time. No, nothing. You see, life is like this as well. It's very elusive. Like the things that we're, we're searching for, the things that we run after, are hard to, to actually grab a hold of. They're harder than we think, right? Jobs, relationships, material things. Who else was hoping to get a car in the driveway with a big red bow on it for Christmas? I am convinced that only happens in the commercials. I, I've never met anyone who got a nice brand new Lexus for Christmas. But all those things, sometimes they just feel out of reach, don't they? And as much as we grab for them and try to get a hold of them, it just seems like we can't get to them. And next is, is this. Life is repetitive. So I just talked about the puzzle, right? 
This thing just keeps showing up in our lives. I have another example of this that'll prove my point. I don't know why this happens to my family so much. Maybe it happens to you too, but this is a, this is a nice little stocking, right? You can see it's a Toy Story stocking. This belonged to my son, Noah. And uh, my daughter and, and my son, Noah, had kind of nice cartoony stockings like this. Uh, Caitlin had a princess one, and this was Noah's. Well, they grew out of them and wanted new stockings. So last year, we decided, okay, we'll donate them, and we'll get matching stockings for the whole family. And so we donated this stocking and Caitlin's stocking to Ripple Effect. Well, last year, my family also made a decision that instead of buying gifts for everybody, we're just going to draw names and get one person a gift. And whatever you get is supposed to fit inside of a stocking. So to prepare for this, my mom decided to go out and buy 10 stockings, one for everybody. And guess where she went to buy these stockings? She went to Ripple Effect, and she bought this stocking that we already gave away and shows up to my house, and guess whose stocking this is again? This is Noah's stocking all over again. And if you could have seen the disappointment on his face, ah, he just can't get away from this thing. So I asked my mom if I could use, you know, if she would bring it and I could use it in this illustration. What she doesn't know is this is part of my diabolical plan to actually get rid of this thing once and for all. Maybe I'll donate it to Ripple Effect again. So we'll see. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, life, life is cyclical. It just, it seems like the things that we do just repeat themselves over and over again, doesn't it? The text says, just as rivers flow in the ocean again and again without ever filling it up, so the world pours into us without ever satisfying us. The sun chases its tail and everything under the sun does as well. So the author in, in the book, Living Life Backwards, this is what he uh, says. He said, the massive reality of creation thus critiques the aspirations of all those tiny mortals who stand within creation as transient creatures. That's a lot of big words. I'm even struggling knowing what he's talking about. But here is the conclusion. There is no reason to assume that individuals should gain from their toil when creation as a whole does not. Think about all the things in the world that just happen, and they just continue happening without any effort. We don't have to interact with the world for things to happen. The sun comes and goes every day, and we do nothing. And what does the sun have to gain for it? Rivers flow into the lakes, and into Lake Michigan. And, and what, what is there to show for it? Almost nothing. And so life is repetitive. It's cyclical. But it says in the text, therefore, what has, been, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. So how do we approach life then? If nothing's new, if nothing really changes, if we have little effect on the course of, of what everyday life is like, what should we focus our attention on? And the author says in the book, that we, should, we, we ought to take the advice of Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride. We have any Princess Bride fans? A couple of us? But you have Inigo Montoya who says, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Right? So the, the advice of, of the author is that we ought to look at life with the end in mind. That we shouldn't fear death, but it's something that we should prepare for. We should all expect it. We're all going to meet the same end. And our lives, this side of eternity, are, are just a breath. We're here one moment, 
and gone the next. We do the same thing over and over again in a world that also does the same thing over and over again, only to one day die. And then our children repeat that cycle. They do the same things over and over again and meet the same fate. We spend a lifetime trying to prevent death when it's inevitable for all of us. We take pills, we get surgery, we exercise, some of you, not me. (laughs) But we do all these things to delay the inevitable and spend little time preparing for what's gonna happen to all of us. How would our lives change if instead of being afraid of of that reality, we we changed our perspective and, and we worked with the end in mind? It's hard because we, we feel like in this world that, that we can change the outcome of life. That if we work a little harder, if we put a little more effort into it, maybe it will be different. And we try to figure out ways to break that cycle as if we're gonna be the first to figure it out. But, but the reality is we all meet that same fate. But I'm here to tell you there's hope. There's a way to break that cycle, and it looks like this. There's an, uh, a poet named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Many of you have heard of him. He wrote a poem called Christmas Bells, and this, this poem was turned into a Christmas song. You've probably heard it lots of times uh, over the course of this season, but I want to read a couple of stanzas uh, of this poem. It says this, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. The hope that he's talking about is in Jesus Christ. The hope isn't in the things that we can and do, that we can experience, the things that we can do in, in this lifetime. With what little breath we have, there's no hope in what we can achieve on our own, but there's hope in Jesus Christ. And when we accept our, our, our fate, knowing that one day we will all die, it helps us to, to work uh, from, from backwards, to, to have that in perspective and to lean in, in, into it and to rely on that truth. That Jesus was a human being who came to earth, who took on the sins of man, he died on the cross, but rose again so that we could all have life everlasting in heaven. That whatever our, our greatest experiences on earth could possibly be, they're nothing compared to what a lifetime in heaven will be like. And so we need to learn our live, uh, we need to learn to live our life backwards. Learn to live with that hope. Accepting that death is the first step in learning how to really live and be alive. A wise believer, it is said, is a man who knows the length of his tether. We long for change in the world of repetition, right? We're all trying to change it, to break out of the boring and the monotony. And we long for permanence, lives that will just continue going on. But Ecclesiastes, it urges us to put behind, once and for all, all of those things that, that don't really matter and to stop pretending and to start seeing each day for what it is, a gift to be enjoyed. The book of Ecclesiastes, it really is a meditation on what it means for our lives to be like a whisper in the wind. Here one minute and gone the next. So, a couple of points to consider. 
Number one, life is better lived backwards. That's the whole point of this book, to have perspective that there is an end for all of us. It looks the same. And what is it like if we, if we keep that in mind? Now, I want to show, here's a picture of my son, Noah. This is not what I'm looking for here. So Noah, a couple years ago, was on his way out the door for school. He literally had that shirt on backwards and also inside out. If, he's living, if anyone's living life backwards, he's winning, right? Well, this is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the little things, right? We're talking about big picture life, living life backwards. It says in Ecclesiastes, if, if we're really going to start at the end, I want to read the last two verses from Ecclesiastes. We're really going to look at the end here. But it says this. Here's my final conclusion. This is it. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is the duty of every person. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. So how do we live life backwards? Fear God and obey his commands. Live as if you believe that what he said is true. Live as though you believe that what Jesus did for us is true and that the promise of heaven is true. Don't put your hope in what you can have and experience here on earth. Put your hope in heaven. So what are we here for then? If our hope isn't in anything we can achieve or accomplish today, what in the world should we put our hope in? Ecclesiastes does a good job of telling us how we waste our time, but it also helps paint perspective on how we can respond to those things. So number one, we're here for wisdom. It says uh, in, in chapter one, I said to myself, look, I'm wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom than any of them. So I worked hard to distinguish wisdom from foolishness. But now I realize that even this was like chasing the wind. Now I can relate to this. I've, I don't know why, but I kind of, a little bit, I'm a little bit nerdy. I have this insatiable thirst for knowledge, but most of it's useless knowledge, like stuff that doesn't help you at all. And so I've mentioned this before, but I have literally lost sleep at night wondering what a bird's beak is made out of. Like, that's not helpful for anything. But I'll tell you the truth. I had to get up and Google it and learn before I could fall asleep. So I know what it's like to chase this, this knowledge and wisdom and information and, and, and what it feels like in the end. Like, I have not been able to use that information for anything. Like, it's not helped anyone or anything. No matter what knowledge and wisdom you can gain in this life, whatever happens to the fool is the same thing that happens to us in the end. We have the same fate. But accepting our fate in this life can change us from people who want to control our life for gain into people who find great joy in the everyday things and in, in what otherwise might seem mundane. The main message of Ecclesiastes is this. Life in God's world is gift. It's not gain. Stop striving for so much gain. Everything you can hope for is coming, just not yet. We seek to understand the deepest meanings in life, but it rushes through our fingers like water from a faucet. How hard is it to hold on to the things in life that, that we want so dearly? It's very difficult. In his book, Joy at the End of the Tether, author Douglas Wilson says this, the gift of God does not make the meaningless go away, but the gift of God makes it enjoyable. So all those things that feel pointless, worthless, like a waste of time, they don't have to. 
if, if we keep it in perspective and realize that every moment we have, every breath that we breathe is a gift from God, then it's something that we can enjoy. You can have pleasure in those everyday things. And that's a great segue to the next point. We're here for pleasure. Ecclesiastes chapter two talks uh, about this, but it says this, anything I wanted, I took. I did not restrain myself from any joy, but as I looked at everything I worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. So three really quick points to, to kind of illustrate this. There's, there's the pursuit of happiness, right? We're all in pursuit of happiness. In fact, when you woke up this morning, every decision you made today probably had something to do with, with making you happy. You, the food that you ate, probably you chose that food because it sounded the best to you. It was gonna satisfy you the most. The clothes that you're wearing today are probably the clothes that, that you decided would make you feel the most comfortable today. Every decision you made is influenced by what's gonna make you happy. Blaise Pascal said it like this, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whether different means, whatever different means they use, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it, it's the same desire in both, to be happy. This is the motive of every action of every man. So we all have this pursuit of happiness, don't we? We're all looking to, to be happy. Number two, there's the problem of happiness. The problem of happiness, there is no end to want is there? There's no end to the things that you could want or hope for. It's, there's always something bigger and better that you could have, right? There's always something that somebody else has that you don't and you want it. There is no end to want. And that's the problem of seeking happiness this side of eternity. You will chase it forever, just like the sun chases its tail. And in the end, you leave this world not getting to take any of it with you. So why put all your chips on the table for something you'll never get to hold on to for eternity? So it begs this question. If there is no gain in, in this, in, in the pursuit of happiness, then why even bother? What is even the point? Well, here it is. There's a perspective of happiness that we need to hold on to. Ecclesiastes 2.24 says this. There's nothing better for a person but to eat, drink, and find enjoyment in this toil. You've heard that before, eat, drink, and be merry, right? Some would say eat, drink, and be merry because that's all there is. But I'll tell you, the author of Ecclesiastes would say eat, drink, and be merry because that's what, what there is. That's what God has given us. In this life, God has given us the opportunity to enjoy everyday moments for what they are, a gift. Nothing more and nothing less. What's really helpful to keep this, this healthy perspective is to start with the end in mind, to know that we all will one day die. And, and to realize that, that when we accept that in a deep way, that, that, that can stop us from expecting too much from the good things that we pursue. It can help us realize that, you know what? Today is good enough. God's grace is good enough. Death reorients us to our limitations as creatures and it helps us see the good gifts right in front of us. And therefore, happiness is not born of our effort, but it's from God's giving. Happiness is from God's giving. So the last point, or the last reason why we're here that, that we're gonna talk about today, Chris will unpack some more of these next week, but, but the, the last thing I'm gonna touch on is work. 
Ecclesiastes 2, 20 and 21 says this. So I turned in despair from hard work. It was not the answer to my search for satisfaction in this life. For though I did my work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, I must leave everything I gain to people who have not earned it. Now, how many of you are feeling this? Like all your hard work seems to benefit everybody but you, right? You do all the work and other people get to benefit from it. You get no pat on the back, no attaboy or girl. Like that's what life feels like so many times, doesn't it? So what is hard work good for if there's nothing to come of it from our own gain after we die? Well, it's this. We get to work for our own satisfaction. Think of it like this. The Holy Spirit has given us all gifts, right? All of you, every single person in here, you are really, really good at something. Maybe you're really, really good at a few things. But everyone in here, you're also really bad at some things, right? The same is true of me. God has given me gifts, things that I'm really good at. And what greater satisfaction is there in doing something that you're good at and seeing the end result? There's so much gratification in, in those things. Some, some of you just have a way of, 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 of completing a task with such ease and precision. And the end result is just, just remarkable. I'm amazed at some of the things that, that you are able to do that I, I, I would only mess up. I, I cannot add any value to some of the things that, that you can do so very well. Work is here for our pleasure, for us to enjoy. It is a gift from God because he's given us the gifts and talents to do some of those things so very well. Enjoy those things and let others around you enjoy them too. Don't, don't just keep them for yourself. Use those gifts for the benefit of others as well. There is great joy in letting others benefit from, from your work and your toil as well. I get asked this question a lot. What should I do in, with my life? People, people want to know, what do I do with my life? Especially young people, right? What should I study in college? And I tell them this, what are you already good at? What do you already enjoy doing? Do that. Find a way to get paid to do that. That's some of the best advice I can, I can give anyone. God has already given you a gift. Why, why should I try to change it? What are you already good at and enjoy doing? Find a way to do that more. It's for your pleasure. Every day we get strong messages about what it is to live the good life, right? It's, it's money, power, profession, position. But the writer of Ecclesiastes pokes holes in all of these definitions. They're all futile. None of them last after we die. They're not worth building our lives on. The only foundation sturdy enough to merit our efforts and our devotion is God. Trusting and obeying him, all else is like trying to capture a puff of smoke. So as it says in Ecclesiastes, fear God and obey his commands. And as you piece together the puzzle of life, keep the end in mind. What will that puzzle look like no matter how you wish you could rearrange the pieces? There's nothing you can do to rearrange the pieces how you want to that will, that will end up with the puzzle looking the same, looking like what it's supposed to in the end. So, so what is it like to keep the end in mind, to be prepared for, for what's coming for all of us? And how do we have joy in the midst of that? How can you enjoy every moment for what it is? I want to leave you with this excerpt from the book. And again, this book is available uh, if you would like up by the Welcome Center. Um, we'd love for you to come by and, and, and get a copy, but it, I want to read this uh, to you. It says, God is the one who gives wisdom and knowledge and joy, not from our striving, but from God's giving. 
Although we are only just beginning to see this in Ecclesiastes, the teacher is deeply committed to a way of being in the world that locates us right in a right relationship to God and a right relationship to our neighbor. From these two things flow all the happiness in life we will ever need. For it is there we see ourselves as we truly are, dependent creatures made for a relationship with our creator. Let's bow our heads.